Hey everybody, I got a question for you. When I say thrive or survive, which one does you, do you recognize yourself in? If you don't feel like you're thriving, or if you feel like, what's so exciting about thriving? I'm okay. You might want to listen into this conversation with Dr. Susan Lovell. She's a ballerina turned plastic surgeon, turned holistic health provider, which is already her story is interesting. But we talked about what it takes to thrive and not a lot of BS, not a lot of giving up things, but also the reasons we might want to thrive. This is the only life we got, peeps. So I don't know about you, but I want it to be juicy and as amazing and thrive-worthy as possible. So if that's also you, I hope you'll listen in. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who have a lot of living yet to do, who want to enjoy the ride for as long as they can in good health and with a sense of humor, maybe a little wine. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. Nonsense. I would say something else, but I'll keep it clean for now. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50, where you get to hear from experts who might give you some ideas you hadn't really thought of trying to help you age better. Today, my guest is Dr. Susan Lovell, the Thrive Architect. Dr. Susan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Frank. One of the things we're going to talk about is thriving versus just getting through the day or just feeling okay. But I have to give a little bit of backstory. Um, you were a former ballerina, a professional ballerina before you became a doctor. So how yes. many years before you went to med school did you do that? 14 years altogether. Yeah, and we traveled around the United States, Europe, the Caribbean. It was Aww. wonderful. That must And it was interesting been. because that first year was that when I had the choice, I was my first year also going to college. I had just been accepted to Barnard. And so I would remember going to class and uh, sitting in a bio class with like 100 people and just getting bored. And so I would just get up and leave. And I had a choice between traveling the world or sitting in bio. And guess what I chose? I, well, I think I would have been right there with you. So then you started medical school later than most people would have if you did 14 years I of did. dance. And, but you said that dance somehow prepared you. Explain how that prepared you. Yeah, people ask me sometimes, which was harder, medical school or dancing? And I have to say, actually dancing, because wow. there was, and maybe it's because I was younger too, maybe. but there was all of the discipline of you know, keeping your body in shape, learning all of the dances and uh, managing all of these things. Plus, I was sort of going to school at the same time. I would go on correspondence while I was traveling. And by the time I got to medical school, I kind of burnt out all of the urge to hang out at night or party. And it was so much easier for me to just sit down and study. That was actually a relief to just be able to sit at a desk and study. I'll bet it was after all those years. So you wanted to help from six years old. You said you wanted to be a doctor. That's about the same time I decided yes. I wanted to be a doctor. Clearly our paths diverged at that point, but <laughs> you, um, you went into plastic surgery. Was there something yes. about plastic surgery that you were attracted to or did you just fall into it? 
Oh, no, no. As a matter of fact, and that was very unusual because most people who go into plastics go into medical school knowing that's where they want to go. They had already know this is what they want to do. For me, it was a matter of the first thing that I did was I rotated through internal medicine, family medicine. And what I didn't like about that was that every week we would go in and the same people would come in. They'd have the same issues. It was diabetes or high blood pressure, mm. or whatever it was. They would get a pill. They would go away, come back the next month. And exactly the same thing oh, dear. was, was you know, still that issue. And I said, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. That would just make me crazy. Um, then we rotated into surgery, which I loved. And then I had a one month rotation in plastic surgery, which was it because people would come in, they would have something done, you change them and they went out a completely different way. Yeah. And that's what I fell in love with, that transformation, mm -hmm. helping somebody change from A to B. And it's only now in holistic medicine that I'm realizing that I can do that same kind of transformation only from the inside out. Which is fabulous because not everybody can afford plastic surgery, nor would they want. Not everybody wants that, even though they might look exactly. at themselves, oh, I'm getting saggy, I'm jowly, whatever. But if their life is not happy, even when you were fixing people's faces or tummies or whatever, it didn't change their lives, but they did feel better, right? But the, the life yes. part or maybe the lifestyle habits were still out of whack, but something was fixed. And so they did feel better. So I can understand you wanted to do that. Exactly. And that's, that was actually a very good point. I would say in the 20 plus years that I was in plastics, maybe five people actually changed their lives afterwards. Mm. You know, they looked at themselves and say, I deserve better than this. And they started taking better care of themselves. The rest, it was like, OK, I got what I wanted. And I mean, they were happy in that sense, but yeah. nothing changed other than the outer. Right. You, you have a little tiny snippet of a story on your site that I hope you won't mind expanding on. You talked about what, as you were transitioning from plastic to holistic medicine, you talked about a patient who you did liposuction on, who after liposuction gained 50 pounds. What happens to the liposuction part of your body? Does it expand <laughs> again? Well, that, that's one of the things people ask. They say, well, does the fat go from one place to another? And no, it doesn't. If you suck a fat cell out of an area, that fat cell is gone. But what they can do is they expand. So as you gain weight, your right. fat cells expand. And imagine if you had 50 here and 100 on your hips, when they expand, you're going to see a greater difference in your hips. And that's when people say, oh, the fat went from here to here. It doesn't really. It's just how it looks like it's distributed. So was but that yes. person... I mean, there was no complication to the person's health because they gained weight. They went through this whole procedure. I know somebody went through it. It's not exactly a pleasant procedure. She had her thighs done, <laughs> compression garments and weeping and things. Mm -hmm. But then to gain all the weight, that's so sad. Right. I think what happened there, he looked at himself in the mirror and said, whoa, I'm thin now, so I can eat whatever I want and oh. do whatever I want. Oh. And... No, you can't. <laughs> Things have not changed on the inside. So, so yeah, you are now helping people change on the inside so that if they go to somebody else and have plastic surgery, they will be thriving <laughs> and, and probably exactly. accepting themselves in a different way. You know, a lot of times exactly. you want to change something or something we don't like about us, but we see it as the physical, right? Right. That this one thing that if I change this one thing, my whole yeah. life is going to change. And no, it's not that way. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> it would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Would it be? I don't know whether it would be more fun if we could snap our know. fingers. Sometimes the experience of challenging ourselves to do different, try something new, 
break a habit. Mm. That's maybe part of what is life. Is that is true. Hmm. And that's why I take people through so many different quadrants. It's not just what you're eating or how you're exercising. It's how you're thinking, how you're sleeping, how your hormones are, even how much you love yourself. So many different things go into making you actually healthy and able to thrive. Yeah. So let's talk about thriving in a practical way that my listeners could understand the difference between thriving and I'm okay. Yeah, I'm doing okay at 50, 60. Mm -hmm. I'm all right. What's the Mm -hmm. difference? I would say, unfortunately, that most people are kind of just surviving. Mm. They're getting through their day, whatever that looks like. And you have to realize that thriving or surviving, whichever way you're looking at it, differs for every single person. Mm. But if you're getting up in the morning and you're just going through the motions and you do what you have to do because you have to, if you're at a job that you don't particularly love, if you're eating food, either you eat junk completely or you eat things that you don't like because you think that you have to, Mm. if you don't have enough extra energy to come home and enjoy your family, if all of your energy and love is left on the job and you're so exhausted by the time you get home that you don't have anything left to give, then that's just surviving. Mm -hmm. That's what surviving is. And so thriving, I would imagine, would allow us to do more of the things that we want to do. I've heard from people uh, that I coach and just in conversation, people won't plan something because they think, well, I'm not up to it. I don't have the stamina or I don't have the energy or maybe I'm too fat. I don't want to put on a bathing suit. Do you hear that when you start working with them? Are you able to sort of liberate them into more of a a full life experience when they get to thrive? Yes, absolutely. And it's interesting that you said that, especially about the bathing suits, because a lot of the women, especially from them knowing that I was a plastic surgeon, a lot of the women will open up even more to me about how they feel about their bodies when they're not in what they think is the best shape. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing that we do now is help people to understand, to love wherever they are right now. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter whatever shape, size, form, fitness, it doesn't matter. Love that first. And then love yourself enough to make the changes that you want to make in the future. Mm -hmm. How do we get around? It's hard to change. How do you work with patients on the it's hard to change part, especially at a certain age? You know, like I'm too, I don't want to give up caffeine, really. Right. That is very, very funny. And that's something that I continue to study because there is a science to it. There really is a science to making changes. And one of the first things that we say is, is to do things in little snippets, because when you want to go from A to Z in one step, like we were just talking about, you want to make that in one step. First of all, it often doesn't work, period. And even if it does, it usually doesn't last because you've not built up all that foundation that allows you to maintain the changes and choices that you've made going mm-hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. So that's really the very first thing we have people realize that it's a stepwise process. And sometimes it's two steps forwards and one step back. But if you keep doing that, eventually you're going to get to point Z. And Mm -hmm. so those are the two big things that we share. So tell us about your quadrants. You had the five quadrants. Ah, Yes. So there were four and the reason that there are or what I went through when I had my own medical challenges and how I started healing myself. And I went one, two, three, four. And the first one is eat elite. 
And what that means is, no, not that you're eating caviar or champagne every single day, but are you eating the right foods for you at this particular stage in life? Mm. And that will change. So, uh, for instance, you know, a lot of us, when we were growing up, you could eat pizza and, and whatever we wanted and not suffer the next day. And as we get older, though, and I guess digestive systems don't work as well, then we start having issues with various foods. Mm-hmm. But even if they're technically a good, healthy food, there may be a, a point in our lives when we can't ex- access them. So, for instance, for me, it was eggs. And I became very sensitive to eggs mm. and break out in a rash if I ate them. Other people, things like watermelon or um, things that you would normally think of as being okay as yes. far as eating. So, that would be that, you know, eat a weight. Uh, the next stage was moving more. And I say moving more because a lot of us think that to be fit, we need to be in the gym three, four hours a day, you know, all throughout the week. And that's actually not true. We do much better when we do little things going throughout the day. So, for instance, now that many of us are home and working at a desk, we tend to forget that we need to get up, you know, every hour and do something. When we do that, we actually have more benefit than if we sit all day and then just go to the gym for a half hour workout. Mm-hmm. There's some studies showing that. So just moving more throughout the day and making the things that you enjoy. I always say, I don't like doing burpees, which I don't. So, but you don't have to. <laughs> well, like, okay, people out there that are listening, I know you're out there. So just pat yourselves on the there, back. But you don't have to do burpees to be healthy. You can, you know, at your desk, do a little bit of push-ups off for your desk. You can sit up and stand. You, you can dance. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you know that, that really speaks to me. You can just dance and get the aerobic benefit from there. So that's the moving more. The third is living wisely. And in that one, there's sleep. So getting the amount of sleep that you need every day. And that's usually minimum six, usually seven to nine. It's stress levels being low, which a lot of people, especially after this past year, are really struggling with. Mm -hmm. So also you're impacting yourself at at your work. So do you like your work? Do you not like your work? And realizing that if you really don't, then there's really no reason to stay there, to start changing yourself so that you can move to something else that does fill your cup. Mm -hmm. So that would be the, the living wisely. And then loving divinely is just what it sounds like. So it's Mm -hmm. loving yourself, it's loving the people around you and loving your connection with whatever you consider the divine to be. Mm. Sounds all so lovely. It sounds like it's got a flow and each squadron supports the other. So if we're loving ourselves divinely, we will remember to eat elite and move more and right you have it down. (laughs) I have to ask you, we're going to talk about hormones in a minute, but I wanted to ask about people who use sleeping aids, not herbal necessarily, but people that say, Mm -hmm. I'm 60, I can't sleep. I I just take Ambien. I try, I meditate, Mm -hmm. I can't meditate. Are those kinds of things safe? I've heard that they don't really add that much true sleep to a night Mm -hmm. of sleep. What do you have to say about those? So that's actually one of the things when we talked about surviving, not thriving. Mm. So if you have to take a medication to be able to sleep, then that is surviving. You deserve way better than that. Yeah. And if you've been on it for a while, then yes, it will take some time to come off of that. And so it is, I would say, very specific effort that you would need to come off it. But medications like that not only change your brain function, but they change your gut function as well. And so you've got those two things, which are not great. So 
What we do in lifestyle medicine is we figure out what is going on. Why do you need a sleep medication? Why aren't you sleeping? Mm-hmm. Maybe you're watching TV up until the minute you go to bed. Maybe it is hormones. Maybe it is stress levels. It really depends on what the reasoning is behind why you're not sleeping. And that's what we go looking for. Mm-hmm. Because when you fix that, then you don't need the medication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised at how many people have told me that they just went to the doctor and said, I can't sleep. And the doctor said, there's a prescription. Another friend of mine was anxious because of COVID and then stopped sleeping. So they gave her an anti-anxiety medication and then Mm. a sleeping pill. And she just went home and looked at the bottles and said, I don't even know why. She made a good decision Mm -hmm. for herself and went, found some other practitioner (sighs) rather than a Western med doctor. But she was so surprised. She wanted to talk to somebody and say, help me. Not that there aren't Mm -hmm. doctors in Western medicine that would have had a different approach. I call it the have an ill, take a pill you know, <laughs> approach. To this. There you go. It's unfortunate, you know, yes. and I see that a lot. I used to see it even more when I was in plastic surgery. And I give the estimate of maybe about 70% of the women that I saw in, that, in my years were on some kind of either antidepressant or something that was lowering or altering their mood. When you look at them, there's really no reason, like you just said, there's no reason for it. You know, instead of just saying, okay, we're going to just give you this and go away, take the time to figure out why this is happening and then go from there. So Mm -hmm. if she's anxious about, in your friend's example, if she's anxious about COVID, which is understandable, then let's work on that. Let's work on what's causing her anxiety and help her through that as opposed Mm -hmm. to just saying, here, take this this medication. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to hormones. In the hormone replacement world, there is Mm -hmm. pharmaceutical hormone drugs, and then there are compounded drugs, bioidentical to the hormones in our body. And you prefer which? Definitely the bioidentical. (laughs) And the reason for it is that the manufactured ones Mm -hmm. are also associated with higher rates of cancers down the road. So that's just one reason to really kind of stay away from them altogether. But the other is that one, your body is used to seeing and one, your body is not. Mm. And so if you have a choice, it's always better to go with what naturally is produced in your own body. Mm-hmm. So we're going to leave the, the progestins and the horse urine. Oh, thing, that's you know, right. Premarins. We're going to leave those, <laughs> those, gonna leave those all the way over there. Right? Okay. Y'all <laughs> over here out of our conversation. <laughs> I know that so. 60s, 70s, when the pharmaceutical grade hormone replacement was being given, there was a big study and they had to end the study early because of heart problems and the cancers were showing up. But the lingering mm-hmm. effect of that was that doctors heard hormones are bad and dangerous. Women heard they're dangerous. So as a result, many women even today are not getting symptom relief and or what else? What what do replacement hormones help us with as we age? Oh my goodness. (laughs) So if you're having symptoms like hot flashes or unexplained weight gain or not sleeping or getting really irritable, then the first thing is to figure out is that the reason Is that the baseline reason for these things? Is it it my hormones? That's Mm -hmm. number one. But then once you've realized, okay, it is my hormones, and you'll know which ones specifically are causing what, because that's another thing. There are lots of different hormones, and they all interact. Mm -hmm. So changing just one may 
interrupt or change others as well. So that would be the second thing. But once you've decided, then it really is a matter of knowing what the deficit is, how much you need, mm-hmm. um, and then giving you just enough because you can give too much, which then puts you into another issue. Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to make clear is that whenever you're giving something to the body, the body then says, okay, I've got enough of that. I don't need to make any more. So that's just another thing to keep in mind. Like if you're through menopause, then you're not going to be making more progesterone. You have baseline levels. So that's not so much an issue. But say another hormone, not a sex hormone, but something like thyroid hormone, which is a very common hormone given to women for low thyroid function. If you get too much of that, your body eventually says, okay, I'm not going to make thyroid hormone anymore. I don't need to. I've got it. Mm-hmm. So it's just really a matter of keeping that balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a good idea. The idea of the balance, because I've heard that sometimes women just get estrogen, but in our body, we would never just have estrogen. And then progesterone is a hormone that can help you sleep. But would you give progesterone without giving estrogen? Is it the flip side of giving estrogen and not progesterone? Not, especially with a menopausal person, not quite so much, only because there's so little progesterone in a postmenopausal woman. So it's not as important, but the form that is given is important. Mm-hmm. So for instance, when you're talking about sleep, an oral form is a little bit better mm-hmm. as opposed to say um, some of the other issues like the weight gain or trying to counteract estrogen's balance you would want to do a transdermal so against the skin mm-hmm. because it has a better effect. And explain the, so taking a pill gets conjugated through the liver. We don't want to necessarily put anything through the liver that doesn't have to be going through the liver, right? So another mm-hmm. reason to have a transdermal, a cream that has the medicine in it that you rub on your skin, it gets absorbed directly into the bloodstream, yeah? Yes, Yes. So it's bypassing the liver. Right. Um, Because the liver works hard as it is. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes, our liver absolutely does. And that's one of the reasons, you know, yes, for sleep, an oral version of the progesterone is better, but it's also better to not take it consistently because orally it will change your gut microbiome. And that has its own impact. So really, we, we have to think about everything that we're putting into our bodies, um, not only the fact that it will have that we would like, but the, the far-reaching effects that we may not want to have as well. Mm-hmm. Testosterone. Good, Mary. Mm. <laughs> I hear so many conflicting viewpoints about replacing testosterone in women. Right, right. That's a great question. And we need it. Women need it. You know, we need it for our muscle strength. We need it for our motivation. We need it for good, feeling good, for feeling healthy and, and vibrant. So we need testosterone, but we don't need too much. Obviously, if we have too much, then we start getting facial hair. We start thinning at the tops. So we start getting a lot of acne. So we don't want too much, but we do need some. Mm-hmm. So if we come away with nothing other than if you have questions, better to have it tested to see where you are rather than guessing okay so once we've tested we see it's low we know that we need some then yes it's good to supplement but check going forward Um, because that's another thing that happens not infrequently 
you may need it a lot in the beginning, then things may change, and then you've got levels that are too high. So you mm-hmm. really need to follow along what's going as well. And I would add, if a person is new to this idea and is interviewing docs, because I'm a person who likes to interview the doctors if they're new mm-hmm. to me before, so I make sure we're on the same page. Um, mm-hmm. Ask how many times they're going to test. You know, after the first treatment, is it six weeks later, two months, three months, four months? If they, they say, I don't need to see you until next year, that's a red flag for me. That is a red flag. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You need to have, especially, especially in the beginning. Right. That's what I was going to say, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got to be tested. You can't, you can't just guess because especially something like, for instance, cortisol. Hmm. which is a stress hormone. Cortisol, you can feel fatigued whether your levels are high or low, depending on how long it's been going along. So, you know, just because you're exhausted, you may say, okay, well, we need to boost her cortisol and give her some more energy. But it may be that she's had high levels for so long that now she's having the opposite effect. So it's really a matter of knowing where you are. Yeah. And I'm going to plug one of my own things that I always say is test, don't guess. And I have a program that I offer people just one session, and it's called the lifestyle assessment. And you answer these questions, and then we're going to pinpoint the things that are a little off track, a lot off track for for aging, right? This is about longevity, right? This is about staying well as we age, feeling good now and keeping that going. And we guess about a lot of things. People Mm -hmm. tend to say, just because diabetes runs in my family, Greg says, I don't have to get it because genes are not my destiny. (laughs) Or it's like, I guess I'm going to get it, but I'm good for now. Don't Mm -hmm. guess, people. This is your health. (laughs) This is your health. Exactly. 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 And you can come back from a lot of things, but you don't want to have to, right? If you're looking at trends, yeah. And the trends are sad, right? I mean, the numbers of lifestyle, I'm going to call them diseases, whether they're just symptoms leading to disease or whatever, but it's staggering how many more cases of diabetes, prediabetes, all these things that show up year after year after year. And yes, they're now under control. So people aren't maybe getting as many amputations or as many heart attacks or as many, but there's still day-to-day symptoms. And then there's side effects of the medications. And then eventually you have no energy and, uh. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and it's, amazing how fast you can turn things around once you know how to do that Mm. and it doesn't take long a couple of months you can literally flip someone from type 2 diabetes to being you know non-diabetic or not needing a medication anymore so that's really good to hear because there's this idea that you can't reverse diabetes once you're diabetic you're diabetic i'm glad to hear you say that that's not the case absolutely not Absolutely not. Because we know it's lifestyle driven. I mean, not type one, obviously. We're not talking about type one. I'll I'll come back to something about type one as well, but definitely type two. We know that 90% of it is is lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so when you move more, you exercise more, and when you stop eating so many processed carbohydrates, boom, you know, it just flips you back into that other state. And then there have been some other things like intermittent fasting, which has been shown to be very, very helpful with, again, switching that dynamic. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, you are not doomed just because mom and dad had it. You were absolutely not doomed to that. But what I wanted to add about type 1 diabetes is that we're now seeing more and more a combination of people who had type 1 who are now developing type 2. 
How does that happen? And exactly, (laughs) exactly. It's like, so how do you do that? Yeah. But it's because they're having the insulin and because they need insulin, insulin is actually one of its jobs is to make fat, lipogenesis, to make fat. If you're not eating healthily, if you're eating still a lot of processed carbohydrates, which again, if you're taking insulin, you may feel you're okay with, you actually start flipping into that secondary dynamic. So now they've got this hybrid of type one and type two, something which is really, really new. Now, have you heard anything about what I'm going to refer to as, because that's how I've heard is type three diabetes being related to Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. or brain plaque? Alzheimer's, yes, yes. So there have been some studies that have come out recently that Alzheimer's is not so much just a brain disease, but it's a different type of of insulin resistance and the body not being able to metabolize glucose well. It's not been 100% proven that this is it alone, but I mean, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So again, if you change what your lifestyle is, change how you're eating, change how you're moving, you can reverse the tendency towards having Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful, especially since more women are diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Two to one, I thought I read recently, than men. Yeah. A lot. That I'm not as familiar with, but yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we go, the gut. Do you test a person when they come to you if they're asymptomatic in their gut, or does everybody have a gut issue that we don't know about? I know there are some people, there are some providers who will always test. When you come in, you're getting a gut, a hormone, and food sensitivity. That's it. The baseline, that's the way they go. I'm a little more flexible. And even though I believe a lot of issues do begin in the gut, I don't often start with it because if you can change their eating habits, if you even something is as simple as slowing down the speed at which you're eating Mm -hmm. can make a huge difference. If you do that, if you add, say, digestive enzymes and a probiotic, I will say, let's see what happens when you're not eating eating gluten and uh, dairy. Let's see how you feel with that. We may make those changes first and see what they do Mm -hmm. um, and then go from there. Okay. and yeah, so I'm, I'm a little bit more, let's see where we stand first and then we'll test if we're not seeing the kind of results that we would like. That makes sense. So final words for the women who are living on caffeine, wine, and willpower, as you say. Because <laughs> I know they're out there. We're listening. They're listening. Yes, yes, yes. So that's also that survival mode. And, and well, I would say Two out of three is how I was living years ago with the caffeine and the willpower. I wasn't so much a wine drinker, but definitely caffeine. I would get up in the morning, I'd drink a cup, and then it was two cups, and then it was four cups, and then it was like literally all day long to keep going while I was, you know, operating, running on office. I was a solo practitioner, raising kids, all of these things together. And of course, the willpower came in because, again, I was the only one. And if I wasn't there, it wasn't going to get done. Mm-hmm. So uh, those two things were able to bolster me for years until they weren't. Mm. They weren't anymore. Then that's when everything just kind of came crashing down and when I had to make those changes in my life. So I look at that and I see that in other women, especially in other women, because we're wired to do for everyone else first and leave ourselves last. Mm-hmm. And when we do that for a long period of time, then we tend to put ourselves in the line for not being our best. We're not mm-hmm. thriving. We're not living the life that we want to live. 
And that's what it's about, living the life that we want to live, not being hampered by some physical ailment or stress-related thing or mm -hmm. mean girl talk to ourselves, that kind of thing. <laughs> Don't we? I, I always say that if we would talk to other people the way we sometimes talk to ourselves, we wouldn't have any friends. You know? <laughs> True. Tell it's people amazing. where they can find you online. At uh, Premier Wellness, which is P-R-E-M-I-E-R-E, -E -E, wellness.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you said you were running a course. Before we started the interview, you mentioned a course. So you offer online courses yes. of some kind? Oh, yes. I previously had worked just one-to-one -one with people, but realized that for two things. One, I can reach more people. And two... The women and the men that I work with get more out of working with other people. So they're going through a process with a group. And the one that we started is called Thrive, Five Weeks to Mastering Your Energy. Oh, I love and we go through those four quadrants. And then that fifth week is Listen, Let Go, and Live. Beautiful. All right, people, premierwellness.com. Take a look at what Dr. Susan has on offer. It has been an absolute pleasure having you. Lots and lots of great information. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me again. You're welcome. Okay, peeps, I'll be back next week with another fabulous guest. Be well till next time. Hey, peeps, before you run, in case you're not 100% sure you're doing everything you can to age as well as you can, which means you'll feel better longer, you might want to check out my Age Better Lifestyle Assessment. It will give us a clear picture of where you are now and what small changes you might want or need to make to improve how you feel, how you look, and how you age. Check it out at rebelliouswellnessover50.com in the Work With Greg section. Thanks.